Eagles fans everywhere, this is for you! Before we get into this episode, I just wanted to bring my and James's perspective to the COVID-19 situation. It's obvious that we have to come together and help each other out, and it's important to note that during a time of great distress in the world right now, Americans usually turn to sports. After 9-11, Mike Piazza hit a home run that gave New York hope. One of the world's, world wars, uh, the women came together and created a baseball league. And without sports now, it's more important than ever that we have to come together as a community and help each other out through this hardship. James, have you? Um, obviously, this is nothing I've ever experienced in my lifetime. I would never imagine this in like my wildest dreams that something like this was going to happen. You know, we can't leave the house, can't do anything. Um, and I really respect everybody in the sports community right now, just trying to start conversations and discussions to keep us entertained at this time. And even though like Philadelphia is a football town, it's going to be weird that maybe this summer we will not be able to go to Phillies games and attend Phillies games because I know everybody has so much fun yeah. going to them, whether they win yeah. or lose. It's always a great time to get out there. The weather's nice and everything. So it's just something you got to take one day at a time right now. Yeah, and Philadelphia itself, you said it's a football town. Now, this past summer, I worked at a little breakfast joint, and you could see – like, I wore an Eagles hat on a Sunday, right, because I have to. And then the amount of people that just I got in a conversation with about the birds, it was insane. Like, these people love sports, and it's a great unifying factor. It just – it's – sports, without baseball, without basketball, we don't have anything to, like, really come together with. And that's why it's so important that we do it artificially. Yeah, I, I agree, and that's why I think it's great what all these local radio shows and sports shows are doing right now. They're still going. They're still right. finding ways to talk with each other and create conversation. But, yeah, there's nothing like wearing an Eagles jersey outside and having somebody, some random stranger, just come up to you and talk about it. <laughs> yeah. It's the best yeah, feeling. it's awesome. It just, just the other day, I was just outside playing basketball. neighbor who comes around every he just starts walking, and he has an Eagles jacket on just about every day. I, I don't think he washes it or something, but he wears it every day, and we always just talk for a couple minutes about the Eagles. It, it's awesome how it can bring a community together. Exactly. It's just being an Eagles fan, you can talk for like half an hour with somebody. Yeah, it's awesome. All right, so we're going to transition. The situation, there's so many repercussions. There's a million layers to it, and it's going to – affect the Eagles in some way, in some shape or form, as it will with the entire league. And now what James came up with that I, I 100% agree with is that it will hit the rest of the NFC East harder than us simply because the other three teams went through a coaching change. Yeah, definitely. And because as a coach, it takes time and hard work to like build a relationship with your other coaches and players, and you have to build their trust to do so. Like Chip Kelly obviously had no respect in the locker room, with our players, and because of that, we played poor. And the the relationship and the dynamic between the coach and his players is so important, and in my eyes, isn't talked about enough. And without like the off season and the summer and OTAs and all the stuff that the coaches probably won't have, it's going to hit them hard. And we already have like this great relationship between our players and our coaches. Yeah, and uh, something to note about that, I think. I think the Cowboys and the Redskins probably have the next advantage just because they both have head coaches who have been in the NFL. But I think the Giants are going to struggle the most because the guy Judge yeah. is brand new. He's never been in the NFL. He doesn't have that yeah. pedigree yet. So 
some of these players not might not respect him, and it's going to take a long time for them to be able to get to know him and get used to him. But Mike Greenberg said that he believes that the Eagles could be the number one seed in the NFC, not just the East, not just winning the East, the whole NFC, because he feels like those six games in, within the division are basically gimmies. And uh, I, I do agree to a certain extent that we will have um, – a better record than most people think, but I don't necessarily agree with the number one seed. I just believe there's way too many factors that play into it. Uh, the receiver position, you know, injuries, you don't know which teams are going to be good. If uh, one team can surprise us all next year and be the top team in the NFC, there's just way too many things that you have to take into consideration before you can crown somebody the NFC championship. So I'm not, I'm not ready. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Like the Niners last year, they were in a very tough uh, division and they still managed to go 13 and 3 like team talent and the way a team plays is very important and a lot more important than how um how strong the teams in your division are so yeah we'll probably get a few gimmies uh in New York and in Washington and get a couple of maybe not easy games but easier games than a lot of other teams get against um Dallas but it's just ridiculous to say that this early you can guarantee a one seed just because of division or repertoire. Yeah, but I, I will say this. Um, three weeks ago, I felt like the Eagles were kind of more rebuilding yeah. and not going to be able to compete. But now I feel like they are a top three to five team in the NFL. Yeah, I think right the Darius Slay trade just sent a message and sent shockwaves around both the entire NFL that, all right, the Eagles want to win now and they have the talent to win now because we don't want to waste Carson Wentz's uh, prime. And, and it's great how we're doing it and how we're building it. And if anything is going to make this team a lot better, it's the draft. And speaking of the draft, Adam Kaplan, he said he had an interesting take yesterday. He said a lot of Eagles fans on fire. They were, I had some comments saying they're going to burn the city down. <laughs> it got that crazy. Yeah. Um, he said that uh, it's more likely than not that we'll take a defensive end or an O-lineman at 21. Yeah, uh, I I mean, I hate to say I'm not, like, I'm surprised, but I'm really not because we know how much Howie loves to build the interior line, defensive line, and offensive line. So, in a way, it doesn't shock me, but the same part of me says to the Eagles, how can you be so clueless of your biggest problem last year, which was weapons on the outside? I know you have Alshon coming back and Deshaun as well, but can you really trust two receivers that are over the age of 30 that are both injury prone to carry the load for you all season long? I don't think that's realistic. Right. And looking at young talented besides center, which just isn't young, but we can address that in later rounds. There's no need to attack an offensive lineman in the first round when we have such a glaring hole at wide receiver and the defensive end, Man, we got some ballers on the defensive end. Like, I don't understand the need to just keep on adding some of these people. Like, yeah, there's a couple talented defensive ends, but there's more talented wide receivers. And I think the argument that's being made here for people who said we should take an offensive lineman or defensive end is that this is such a deep wide receiver class that at pick 53, we can get a good receiver. But it just isn't cutting it for me. The drop-off in talent is very steep, and it just doesn't make sense to draft a position where we're already set, where you already have Graham, Sweat, uh, one more, uh, Barnett. It, it just doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, so I hope it's just you know, a smokescreen or just a report that they're putting out there. But I, I guess that's what shied him away from the whole Yannick thing as well, is the report came out this morning that it's more likely that we're 
looking on the outside for Yannick than being invested into the trade. Uh, I just, you know, if you're going to go after somebody in the draft, wait till the mid-round, like you said. There's way too much talent in the receiver class to pass up one of those at least first or second. Yeah, and I was just looking at some late-round talent. There's a guy from Utah, I forget his name. He's a defensive end we could go after. Cesar Ruiz is a center we could go after on the second round. There's a lot of options in this draft. And and it's not like your players on the offensive line or defensive line yeah. are ready to retire within the next They're They're all still some in their prime. Maybe Graham is about to be over the hill, and same with Kelsey. But the rest of them are in their prime or really young. Yeah, and... uh Again, all these reports could be smoke screens, could be fed by an organization. We don't know. But Matt Miller, a very respected draft analyst, uh, he said that on his podcast that uh, Justin Jefferson to the Eagles at 21 is in ink, and it's pretty much already in paper. It's done with. Now, this is where we differ. At 21, I would love a guy like Justin Jefferson, and you would love a guy like Mims. I think it's good that we agree that we need a receiver. But explain your argument for Mims. So, a few things that I really like about Mims. Obviously, the number one thing is his overall size. He has the speed. He ran a 4.38 at the 40. And just the biggest thing about him is his catch radius. He has this, like, ability to hide Wentz's flaws in the fact that he can sometimes throw it up and Mims can go up there and get it for you. So, I just think... All around, he can be a great receiver. I think it's going to take him a lot of time to develop because he has those. Um, I think he had one of the highest drop yeah. uh, percentages in the top football last sure. year. But I, he reminds me of a DK yeah, Metcalf, where it's going to take it's going to take him a little bit to develop. But once he develops, he can really rely heavily on his size and speed and physicality to just take over games. And it's been a long time since I've seen a receiver like that um, on the outside. I, I'm just not ready to commit to a slot receiver. I know Justin Jefferson can do both, but right now he looks more comfortable in the slot position to me. Yeah, and I think the 4-3-8 really opened everyone's eyes on what Mims could do because he's a very physical guy and he knows how to high point the ball. And the 4-3-8 kind of added, he has speed to it now too. So it, it seems like he has all boxes checked. I mean, a guy like Justin Jefferson, it's so hard to find a flaw in his game. Like, he has, he ticks mm -hmm. every box any wide receiver coach could look for. He runs like a 4 4 2 4 I point the ball. He can play slot, play outside. He has like a very good route running ability. And I think the one knock on him, it was he was not very good at uh, creating separation. But I mean, everything else he has. And I think the number one thing for me is is that he has produced so much in college and there's just an intangible ability who's in college to go off against Oklahoma. He had 13 catches for 220 some yards and four touchdowns. And that's in the second biggest game of his career. It's just, it's so hard to get a guy who just knows how to get open and catch the ball and score touchdowns. And Mims didn't produce as much as I'd want him to at Baylor, even under Matt rule. And granted Jefferson had Burroughs and Bray. But when you're catching the ball 13 times and putting in the end zone four times and just off some insane highlights and high putting the ball, you have that like X factor, I'd say. And he puts in the work. He's been uh, quoted to be a very 
hardworking guy. He always watches film. And it's just there's too much for me to like. It just makes too much sense to pass up on. Yeah, he, he's – I think he's probably the most wide receiver ready to contribute on day one to an NFL team. And I think he's going to give you a lot of consistent great years. I just uh, I just have this feeling that Denzel Mims' ceiling is a lot higher because of in- intangibles. But there's no yeah, part of me that's going to be is. upset of Justin yeah, I, I think that's the thing. As long as we take a wide receiver like like one of the two, I won't be angry because it's hard to tell just in college and just off a of combine. There's not even pro days now because of this whole situation. Who will be better? We just have to wait and see how they progress in our organization. But, I mean, it's just fun to talk about who's better and why. And let's just hope come draft day that one of them will make – or not one of them, that Howie will make the right choice. Now, speaking of how he's drafting ability, this is going to be interesting. Uh, the whole situation, as we mentioned before, the COVID-19, it'll limit um, – not limit, sorry. It'll be hosted via technology and on Zoom. And it, it's going to be an interesting approach to the draft. We've never seen this before. It's unprecedented. And so James had the great idea to ask the question on whether it'll limit or increase trades impending because I know – I think Stephen Colbert – or someone in the NFL organizations asked for there to be three extra rounds to compensate for like the greater chance of a failure to pick, which is interesting to see because teams are already very unsteady going into this draft. Yeah, I don't know how much time they're going to give each pick, but the whole fact that they're going to be doing this over computer and just via technology makes me think that a lot of NFL GMs and coaches are going to be scared to make moves because they're just so overwhelmed in the new, like, draft, whatever you want to call it, draft thing that's going on, that it, it it's just they're going to be uh, too inferior to make uh, any big shocking moves because you don't want to be that one team that messes up on this. Right. One of the biggest drafts yeah. in years. Yeah. So I think this whole thing is going to limit everybody and – most teams are going to stay which pick they have and choose from there, try to get the best player available. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see because the current system is that they simply just call up the teams they want to um, uh, negotiate with and get their pick. And now we'll see they're in like a video chat. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know how it's going to affect it. And frankly, I think the fact that it's uncommon and unprecedented, it's just human nature to just not want to be as risky and just take the safe bet. And for your point, just and uh, state your pick and draft who you think is the best. Because after all, this is a very talented NFL draft class. Yeah, so uh, do you know how they're doing it? Are they just going to have Roger Goodell alone in a room announcing picks, or are they just going to cut to each team? I have I've no what, clue. I just know it's going to be like a fantasy draft in a way, where there's going to be a draft board and it's going to be like, right, first, second overall. It, it's going to be crazy how it works, too, because like, even for ESPN, like, imagine what they're going to do, because... Usually it's like this big thing with all the fans and cheer and boo with picks. It's just going to be like one guy. Yeah. It's going to be weird. Exactly. That's fun. I'm assuming somebody from ESPN is going to be the host, and he's just going to be giving the breakdown of every player that's drafted and breaking all the news. But it's just going to be a really odd yeah, situation. Yeah. Everything's going to be odd this year. I feel like we're going to see situation extent as a lot of people are predicting it to and how it affects OTAs, and maybe even pushes back the start of the year. Who knows? The situation's escalating rapidly, and 
I think it's hard to tell when it'll end. I, I wouldn't mind if they cut down mm-hmm. a preseason game or two and start yeah. the season. Yeah, I'm with that too. And preseason, it's important for guys who want to fight for their job. But, I mean, there's training camp to do that too. It, preseason isn't extremely important to the point where you have to battle it out with the coronavirus. Yeah, it's not that. Yeah, it, it, there's far greater factors that play in than it actually Right. All right, now pivoting to some more current rumors, we have – it seems like it's just rumor nation here. All, all these smoke screens and coming out. We're just going to address the Rasul Douglas situation. Um, there's been a report coming out that's saying, I think it's Philly Sports Network, uh, believes that he is in fact on the trade block. And there are a couple teams interested in him. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars are one, 49ers, and I believe the Texans are another. And now this is especially interesting to me because two of these teams, we've been rumored to get in talks with Dante Pettis, of the San Francisco 49ers and Bill as well as so we're using in any trade we want to see, we're using Russell Douglas as trade bait. I don't think he has that much value. He's been in the position of cornerback two for a while now, and he hasn't proven himself to be really anything. I think he'll just be another body in another team. But if we could get maybe a fourth, uh, I don't know. I don't know what the price is for him. Yeah, he's definitely a package deal. It really surprises me that when I heard today that the trade talks for him were heating up because, like you said, I see a very little value in him. He struggled as a cornerback number two, and you know cornerback is such a pivotal position in this league. You need to be good to uh, be on the field at that position. So the only thing that makes me feel alive about the Yannick trades is that I heard that Jacksonville was involved, so maybe you know he's being um, packaged in there in a huge deal but other than that i don't see him going straight up to another team for another player or uh, a pick like who's going to want to give up a mid-round pick for Russell douglas i'd rather take a rookie you know because you're going to have to pay douglas as well and i'm assuming douglas wants more money than rookies yeah and the san fran thing it's interesting because dante pettis had a very a productive rookie season and then he fought it off with a sophomore year that frankly I had like 11 catches on the year he played very poorly last year and my consensus among 49ers fans is that they're tired of him and they want him out he's kind of like that Nelson Aguilar of San Francisco is what I've seen he doesn't show much heart that's what they believe and honestly from our side I think we're pretty much done with Rasul as well we have Darius Slay we have um, Coleman as well we just got those two uh, from free agency or trade, the situation where there's two players who have a decent amount of talent who need a new scenery, need a new city to play in, and to both two teams are both fed up with their respective player, and they just want to swap. So I, I could very well see a Rasul and Pettis trade being gone through. I don't know who would have to put in the extra pick because I don't think it'd be a one-for-one trade, but we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, that's a very low risk, high reward. I know he had a great rookie season, but uh, they said I think he was injured. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't a hundred percent. I don't believe. Like yeah, yeah, he just fell off the face of the earth that year, and the <clears throat> Niners fans got frustrated really quickly with him. Um, yeah, change of yeah. scenery can really revive yeah. a career sometimes in the NFL, and I wouldn't mind it at all because you're not giving up much to get him here. And we need that. Yeah, and I, for that reason, I think Nelson Aguilar going to Las Vegas, 
new new franchise because they just relocated. I honestly think he'll have a very good year. He got signed for less than a million, which is absurd to me. Absolutely absurd. Yeah. With, yeah. With the amount of talent he has that is unheard of, especially if you look at his route running, he's he's almost always open. He just I just don't know if it was Carson not trusting him enough because he had the drops issues or his confidence or whatever, but he couldn't couldn't be consistent. He showed spurts, and then the next uh, next drive, he would just yeah, be- it was a shame to see that. I think he was picked twenty one or twenty as well. <laughs> so it's kind of like it, it makes me uneasy to see that that happened in the past uh, when we were drafting a wide receiver. But Aguilar obviously got a lot of criticism, and he's tried to defend him. And now I'm going to ask you, James, who was the one player that – because Philadelphia, we know this city is ruthless. We we threw, I think, snowballs at Santa, right? Like we, we, <laughs> we're just a really, – we're passionate, right? We have that for sure. But we're, we're kind of sometimes really mean to our players and some coaches. And so who's the one player who, despite a lot of criticism, that you always loved and always defended? I don't think he received a lot of criticism, but the one player I always defended no matter what was Jason Avant. I felt like he wasn't the fastest. He wasn't the biggest receiver on the field, but he was such a reliable target um, on the offense. He caught everything. His hands, they were like glue. And he just um, always stayed quiet, worked hard, never opened his mouth, never started trouble on the team. And I just feel like he was really underappreciated here because – you had Jackson, you had Macklin, you had McCoy, you had these big name receivers. And they were, you know, for the most part, Deshaun and LaShawn, they were both yeah. um, show offs. And Jeremy, Jeremy was yeah. more of the quiet one, but he had a lot more talent than uh, Jason Avant did. But Jason Avant just never like let me down. He always made big catches when it mattered. He never ran his mouth anywhere. I just really respect him as a player, and I wish he got. Yeah, it's always a different kind of respect you have for a guy when he's not the fastest. He's not the tallest. He just puts his head down and works hard. I, I think. Yeah, and one yeah. thing, one one other thing, sorry, that I want to mention about him is he wore the number. <laughs> That's a lot to live up to. Yeah. Funny. Yeah, he had that one catch. I think it was against Tampa Bay. One handed catch. No one talks about it, but that was insane. That was a crazy oh, catch. Yeah. That was, it was a sick catch. It's, it's up there. It's up there. My guy catch. for this is Ryan Matthews. He. Had a lot of injury problems in Philadelphia, even in San Diego. That's why they got rid of him. He had a couple of fumbling problems as well. But honestly, I loved him in San Diego. And when we got him in Philadelphia, I was so excited to see what he could do. Just out of the backfield, catching the ball, running the ball. And I I remember specifically when he fumbled the ball against Detroit and cost us that game. uh, There was like a lot of comments in some Instagram posts. And I went on and, like, defended him in, like, all of those just because I love that man so much. It, it it sucks how his career unfolded, and this is becoming more common in the NFL. A lot of injuries are catching up to a lot of guys, and they can't really live up to their potential. We see it with Brandon Cooks. There's a lot of players who are undergoing the same type of um, unfortunate treatment that Matthews is undergoing. But he's just one guy I always loved, and really for no real reason. Yeah, I, I liked him too. He always ran hard, and I think he averaged around four yards per carry. He reminded me a lot of Jordan Howard we had this year in running back. He ran hard, ran in between the tackles, and just wasn't like a side-to-side runner. Always got got you those tough yards. I liked him a lot too, and I defended him 
a lot. And uh, yeah, it's a shame that he got too many concussions and his career didn't, we didn't right. see. All right, and now been. switching from this, we're talking about someone who got criticism and we defended. Now, who's someone who got criticism and you kind of joined in and started hurling some words at him? Who's the one player currently or in the past you just hated? Yeah. Okay, so I hate saying – first off, I hate saying that I hate Eagles players because I always like to root for them and support them. But the one player that I really just could not get behind was the <laughs> quarterback, Kevin Cobb. Um, I think yeah. he was right when Vic came in. He was uh, – I forget when he got drafted, but he got drafted like second or mid-round for us. And everybody thought he was going to be the next uh, big thing, replace Donovan McNabb and – He's just like, I knew he was not going to be good. He had such terrible arm strength. He wasn't accurate. He was a smaller quarterback. And I just didn't see like that fire in his eyes that he was going to get the job done. And it made me so mad because I knew one game he went and he beat up on a terrible team. I think it was the Chiefs at the time. He beat up <laughs> on the Chiefs and everyone was like, oh, Kevin Cobb's taking the Super Bowl. And then the following week, we run into Drew Brees and the Saints and we get beat. Down and I was like, yeah, that puts it in my mind. Kevin Cobb will not be able to get us past good teams, and I knew from that point. That's funny too. It's kind of a throwback. Um, he was a second round pick in the 2007 NFL draft, which is kind of look at him. Second round? Yeah, I don't know how that happened, but it did. And he's kind of young. He's 35 years old. I didn't realize that. (laughs) He could still be in the league if he was good, but he's not. There's two people for me. It's Byron Maxwell and Vince Young. And I'll start for one, Byron Maxwell. It, I think expectations certainly had an impact on this because you saw what he did in Seattle, and you just think he's, again, the next big thing. He's going to solidify the secondary. And he turned out to be a Namdi Asuma point, too, except what made him worse in my eyes was the fact that it was Monday Night Football against the Falcons. Uh, Julio just burned him almost like 200 yards or something. But this guy seems so, like, content on the bench. He was just chilling on the bench. No worries for him. He's getting funny. He doesn't have to perform. And, again, it's that, like, it, he doesn't have that Philadelphia fire underneath him and that, like, will to win. You can see that in guys like Will Parks, Darius Slay. These guys want to win games. And for me, that really just set me off because he's getting paid all this money to come in and perform and has a lot of expectations, and he just sucks. Like, he, he can't cover anything. Yeah, you got to have that yeah. dog mentality to play in Philadelphia. And when you see a player out there that looks relaxed and comfortable after he just got burned, it's going to make you really pissed off. But that that's one thing. I will never get highly on a yeah. player that's from a system. Yeah. He was from the Seattle Seahawks system. He, that's where he benefited from. So from the start. Yeah, the second one for me is Vince him. Young. I We all know exactly what I'm talking about. It, it's just it, – it's not like he even – played terribly he came in a couple games when Vic got hurt it's just like you don't say you're the dream team when you're a backup quarterback man you're putting tremendous expectation that you're not even leading like if you were a starting quarterback okay you can back it up with your play you're sitting on the bench holding the tablet showing Vic the plays like you're not doing anything there there's no need to give your team those expectations and fire uh like a really headline hungry media up to make the next big headline I don't know it just really ticked me off Yeah, that was a huge dumb, like dumb move. And Vince Young's probably yeah. like one of the biggest what ifs in NFL history ever. After having that great rookie year, and then 
I was so young when he was playing. Like, I, I think that was just when I started getting into football that I don't really remember, like, his second and third year. I know he had a great rookie year, but I don't really remember when he started. Yeah, and I, I think it was the whole Jeff Fisher thing in Tennessee. Jeff Fisher is just where all quarterbacks go to die, honestly. He just doesn't know how to coach a football team. And, like, Vince Young, he had a great college year, I think. He had that one touchdown run that's, like, in infamy with USC. Like, he had a lot of talent. Never translated into anything. Yeah, it's a, it's one of those other players that you see just don't pan out. You never know if it's coaching or if you Yeah, all right. Now, keeping it on them. this throwback thing we have going on, talking about past Eagles, uh, the All-Decade team just got announced. A lot of good players, a lot of snubs as well. But from Philadelphia, the four players that made it were Jason Peters. Uh, Sproles as like a flex returner type guy, not as a running back. Uh, Fletcher Cox as D-tackle, obviously, and LaShawn McCoy as running back. And I'm going to ask you, what was your favorite memory from all these guys? Because they're just really legends. They're in the history books forever. What's your favorite memory from each of these guys? Okay, I'll, I'll just go down all my four, and then you can give your four. Um, Jason Peters first. Uh, the injury he had in our Super Bowl season on Monday night, even though it was like a terrible moment for him, I thought, like, seeing the whole locker room come out there and support him and, you know, kind of usher him into the into the back to get checked out, I think that just showed how much of a leader he was on the team and how much of an impact he had on all the players. So that was really cool for me to see. It's still one of my favorite Eagles moments. Um, the Sproles thing that always comes to my mind is that oh, play yeah. he had against the Steelers yeah, on crazy. Carson Wentz's rookie year where he just faked out three of the defenders and – uh, got into the end zone. I, I loved watching him play, man. He was so much fun. Um, McCoy, That's got to be crazy, man. That's got. Oh my god. It, yeah, it, we were losing in, um, at halftime. You know, everyone's thinking, "Oh, nothing's going to happen." It's there's too much snow on the ground. We can't generate some offense. And then McCoy just runs wild for over 200 yards. And then um, Fletcher Cousins. This one's so hard because I still really can't think of much because he's just such a consistent and um dominant player but the one thing i always do remember <laughs> is how funny he is on twitter like i i don't know how, i don't know if you heard but there was like a rumor two years ago that like he was oh um, of course he was something like that. <laughs> yeah and like um, he just had this funny rant on Twitter yeah. that it was like because he's like a hunting person. And he was like, I, I have oh, a yeah, I remember seeing on Instagram. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. So like, I just love that he's uh, just a fun guy. You know, he really generates a lot of energy on the team, and that's probably what I'm gonna remember most about him is just how much of. Uh, a, yeah, picking back off that Fletcher Cox thing. When we had that touchdown, it was a big touchdown too. It was the game ceiling touchdown week one of our Super Bowl uh, year, and like he just danced in the end zone and started celebrating. Like you could tell he was so happy <laughs> and score. Like it was a once in a lifetime opportunity, and he took it. And he had one of the best touchdown celebrations ever. It was it was great. Mm-hmm. All right, and now for the other one, Jason running against. At this game where uh, Chris Baker, Nick Foles throws an interception. Then Chris Baker blindsides Nick Foles. And then Jason Peters just comes out of nowhere and just decks Chris. Or, yeah, Jason Peters comes out of nowhere and decks Chris Baker. And the crowd just, because everyone was looking kind of at that. Because Foles went to the ground in such a hurry. 
And then you see Peters, Peters just oh, demolished Baker. And then he got sent off. He didn't care. He was happy with being sent off because of what he did. Man, that was just a good memory to have. Yeah, I mean, he's a bodyguard for a reason. A <laughs> yeah. I think, I'm not sure, actually. That's a good, good point. I, I hope it's because of that. That'd be really funny. All right, and then moving on, Darren Sproles. Nice. Yeah. It's just, it was a punt return against the Carolina Panthers. Well, maybe my night. Uh, it's just whenever he had the ball, he was so electric. And it's so important for special teams to get good field position and get touchdowns. And when you have a guy like him, when he could just take it to the house any given time and gets the ball against the Steelers, like he did, that play was insane against the Panthers. It's just so crucial to have that guy who just put six on the point, six on the board so quickly and so easily. Yeah, and I, I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but I'm asking a question. Do you I don't think he's first ballot, but I think as the class weakens, I think he'll eventually make it just because he's that Swiss Army knife that any team, when you see him, you're like, ah, oh, shoot, we're playing Sproles. Like, he can go anywhere around. Like, be explosive from any place on the field he chooses to be. Yeah, I think he's one of those players that yeah. really, like, revolutionized the game, yeah. like, along with those Michael v- and um, other players that just had such far different playing style that it's hard to not put him in there. I, I think he does get in, like like you said. Yeah, I mean, uh, the dude's 5'6", like, too. Like, when he stood in the huddle next to Jason Peters, it was most hilarious. <laughs> And then moving on to my all-time favorite Eagle, Sean McCoy. Said this many times before, but snow game, obviously, like that's one of those games where you were and who you were with when you were watching that. Um, and then against the Panthers, he just had a couple insane jukes, like two or three in a row. And I don't think he housed it, but pretty close to the house. And he's just one of those guys, like you put on highlights for him. You see, oh, yeah, I know what's going to happen here. I know what's going to happen on this play, too. Just because what he did for Philadelphia is so etched in your mind. And he, he's just truly a Philly legend. And honestly, I want to see him back. I want to see what he can do on the Eagles again. Yeah, closest thing to Barry Sanders. And also, I was a yeah, huge Brian Westbrook fan. And when yeah. McCoy came in at first, I was really upset. Because he's going to take my favorite player of all time's uh, spot. But as the years went on, I just became a huge fan of him. Just the way he plays. I love seeing yeah. good players out and make them look like fools. It, he was going. I mean, I mean we could go on a whole rant about Chip Kelly and <laughs> what he did. Exactly. Yeah, I don't want to go. But yeah, he was going way too soon. Now I'm going to ask you: Is there any players on the Eagles in the past decade? Yeah, I, I think Jason Kelsey certainly out? did. Because you look at the two who are up there: it's Alex Mack and uh, Marquise Pouncey, and they're talented. And Mack, I don't know if he deserves to be up there. I. Pouncey is definitely, for sure, a, a very in, insane. He he deserves a spot on that list. But Kelsey is a guy who carries an entire playbook on his back just because of the screens he does. And he's been one of those guys. He came in as a late-round pick and just worked his ass off the entire time and just got his way to the top where he's one of the best centers in the league. And I think where now he's regarded as the best center in the league. But no one, like, recognized him in this list, which really, I don't know, it kind of ticked me off. Yeah. I thought it was a huge, you know, snub because Kelsey, out of those three, he was the most consistent. Yeah. He didn't bounce around. I think Mac went to two different teams. He played on Cleveland first, then he went to Atlanta. There's a reason he got traded because he wasn't as consistent. And 
also the Atlanta fans complain about as well is he doesn't either he doesn't stay healthy or his level of play isn't always the highest but Jason Kelsey really never left the field and he was one of those guys that really led us to become Super Bowl <laughs> champions and obviously yeah, that's the, Hall of Fame where they just, he had just was that. amazing and and like you said he was such a late round pick that nobody expected him to make this big of an impact and he's got a chance to be yeah. a Hall of Famer cuz you don't you don't see that many centers go into the Hall of Fame and his resume he lasts long which is a lot of centers do not do centers usually play uh five six years in the league and then they're bounced around or they're out but what is yeah, it eighth, ninth year something like that crazy and he's still this consistent i i thought I, I yeah and um i lost my train of thought here but that he's really undersized too and a lot of people discount him because of like he's below six foot and you see these guys in the trenches they're six foot five 300 pounds like he like more of his own prototype at center that you see guys like Cesar Ruiz in the draft are trying to follow where he's going to be that mobile guy who's going to be a lead blocker in a screen or he's going to take a sweep and he's going to snap the ball not only that he's going to give a little shove to the nose tackle and then sweep his way out and block for a screen like the way his mobility and his conditioning is crazy it's just unbelievable yeah yeah, it's amazing to see what he can do on those sweet plays or screens. He really runs across the whole field and blows a linebacker or a safety. Yeah, and now transitioning to a different question. We got which unsigned eagle would you rather bring back? This is Bradham McCurry. To me, it's for sure Bradham just because of the hole in our linebacker and core right now. We don't have that sure tackle. We have Nate Gary who's going to go sideline to sideline. He's got speed, but he hasn't proven himself yet. Will Parks, who's probably going to play in the box. He's a safety. He doesn't have that consistent tackling ability that Bradham has. And TJ Edwards is someone who has the same prototype as Bradham, but he's undrafted. He's unproven. He hasn't really gotten any uh, snaps yet. And so Bradham is just that veteran guy that we need on this defense to anchor the tackling down because you look at the tackling Jenkins and Mal and no Jenkins and Bradham had a lot of the share of the tackles last year. And you take those two out and you're kind of concerned as to who's going to pick up the slack. Yeah. I think there's so many factors that play into this. I think Bradham was the better player than Curry was overall, but I'd rather see the Eagles draft a linebacker. And that's why I wouldn't be too, upset if they decided to bring Curry back for the defensive line um, depth because, like I said earlier, I just think this Yannick thing is starting to fall apart and we're not going to get him here, so I'd rather have an extra body on the defensive line just for depth purposes. And I liked Bradham a lot. I'm thinking he was starting to get over the hill. You know, he started to show a decline in the past year or two, even though I still think he's a great player. He's yeah. he's another one of those players where I yeah. always defended him no matter what because I thought yeah. he deserved a lot credit than um he was given huge part of the super bowl year as well so realistically i just think they're going to go younger at the linebacker position also because we don't feature the linebacker enough and if i had to pick somebody i think i would just pick you don't spend so much money to get yannick here yeah i'm with that so it's it's also nice because i think curry as much as uh pro football focus is like uh a lot of people view it as like a not so reliable source objective is he was one of the best uh pro football grades some, some category i was shocked to see it was maybe like percentage double teams or something crazy but he was number one in the entire league 
And he does have a good amount of respect around the league because of what he's done with Philadelphia and then I think Tampa Bay and then back here. Like, he's just kind of that consistent guy that you could just put on the outside and just he can do a couple great things. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I did see that grade, too, that he was, like, one of the I, I think, I think it was double teams because was, he, like, commented um, or something like, saying, like, why why isn't Fletcher Cox getting this treatment, too? Like, why is it me or something? Yeah, but like you said, I was really surprised too. I was like, really? Because I don't remember him having like that big of a season, but it's just one of those things where stats don't really tell you everything. I mean, um, like seeing things. Right, right. Yeah, there's so many layers to it. It's just kind of hard to see that he's getting double teamed this many times or this much attention. Yeah. And now we're nearing the end of this episode. I'm going to ask you, James, what's one take you want the viewers to leave with? All right, my hot take for next year is that I believe Miles Sanders and Boston Scott can play a huge role on this offense, and I think you can lean on both of them heavily, especially with, like, the emergence of Boston Scott last year. I think he can catch out of the backfield, and he can hide behind the tackles and find a hole through the middle. And also we saw Miles Sanders just start to develop more and more towards the end of the year, and I think he's going to end up being a top-five back in this league um, for years to come. So I don't really think that we should be worried on offense as much as we were because we have two great running backs that are both hitting their second year this year. And I'm just really excited to see what they can both do because they're both versatile players. And I'm not too worried about getting a running back in the draft this year. I think we're really set at the position. You know, not every team has two great running backs and we have two great ones right now. So I really hope that they just continue. Yeah, I'm a hundred percent with that. I even made something about that last episode about uh, him being the top PPR fantasy back. I, I think we truly believe that he can do it with support from the coaching and some good plays that Doug Peterson can call it. And I think that uh, in scrolling Instagram and Twitter in these past couple of days, you can see that there's a lot of criticism being shot once his way. And because this is around the time where people list their top quarterbacks uh, rank them, what's good about them, what's bad about them. And there's just a lot of criticism and just unnecessary, just negativity surrounding Wentz's name. And I, I honestly can't say for the life of me why that is. I think he's done a lot already. He's gotten injured, yes. I wouldn't necessarily say he's injury-prone. There's been freak injuries. But I think this year and next year, he finally, once and for all, kind of just shuts up all the criticism or all the haters and just finally... I think he did last year. I, I thought he deserved to last year. But this year, he gets to the playoffs, and he has a little bit of playoff success. He has the talent, certainly, to do so. I think it's just on Howie and the guys to get him the uh, receivers and firepower to do so. Yeah, there's probably nothing that I could agree more with than this take because I'm such a Wentz supporter, and I would die for him, honestly. Um I thought he shut up the critics last yeah. year too, but you know, a lot of people yeah. seem to disagree when he got that cheap shot in the CF game. Everyone went back it's to the ridiculous. same old uh, slander that they gave him. And uh, he just, yeah, you're right. He gets no appreciation. And I think he's the most <laughs> criticized player, not even just quarterback. I think he's the most criticized player in the NFL just because of that insane 2017 year he had. And then people got, really upset with him the following years because and he was still injured too it's not his fault and uh i saw a lot of top 10 lists that yeah, that's exactly who came to my have a player like exactly. matt ryan who has all these weapons yeah ha has julio jones had muhammad sanu at one point 
Um, Roddy White at a, a certain point in his career, he's had so much help. Matt Ryan over the mm-hmm. past, I don't know how many years he's been in here, 12 years now in the league. And, you know, Wentz is never, other than the uh, Super Bowl year where everything just seemed to hit off, but other than that, Wentz really hasn't had that much help. And yeah, I, I 100% agree. And now we're, we're coming to a close this episode, guys. Uh, we appreciate all you guys coming on to listen here, especially if you made it this far. I know we appreciate you. There's more coming. This episode. Peace out.